Welcome again to Comic Connoisseurs. Uh, tonight we will be talking about defending post-crisis DC. Tonight's topic will be specifically defending Man of Steel. Not the shitty movie, but the actual John Byrne graphic novel and uh, re- relaunch. Um, you, of course, know my uh, my co-host, JT from Saskatoon. It's good to be back. <laughs> yes, it is good to be back. We had, have, we had a slight hiatus due to scheduling issues but we are back and uh, as always we are going to start the show with looking at some solicitations um looking here i had i i see something that i just absolutely love airship entertainment girl genius i love girl genius so much you know it's it has everything to do with just the artwork and storytelling style uh, phil foglio one of the greatest artists that ever touched the media medium he uh as everyone knows he did work for dc back in the 70s 80s a little bit of the 90s but he also you know pretty much in my opinion he wasn't the legitimizer of web comics but he helped legitimize them because he was one of the first ones that started in print and got and had a huge name in print and then moved back into the web and said, hey, I'm making more money this way. Made everyone sit up and take notes and go, wait, what, what's this going on here? And, you know, have you ever read Girl Genius, JT? I've read it now and again, but oh. I haven't, like, uh, the odd comic here and there. I've never sat and read, like, an incomplete storyline or anything like that. Mm. But I did, I, have, I did like what you see. Like, specifically, like you said, the art, it's got this fun kind of cartoony style and and that was probably the thing that stuck with me most about the comic is just the fact that it was a lot of fun to read both in the storytelling and the art and all that it just you know it didn't it didn't make you like when i say it didn't make you think i don't mean that in a negative or a good way just it just i think a lot of the best fun comics are like you just enjoy them for what they are i think what you're saying is it wasn't very it didn't feel stuffy yeah it's not like it was trying to say it, it wasn't trying to say something. It wasn't trying to like hype some sort of agenda. It's just it's a lot of fun to read. So, and uh, what, what I love about Phil is he, he you know people call Girl Genius a steampunk comic, but Phil always objected to steampunk. He liked uh, what's what he call it. He was like, gas lamp fantasy is what he liked to call the genre. Yeah, because he says there's there might be some steam but steam but there really isn't punk and he 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 doesn't like the 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 genre title steampunk because he feels like it's just they took cyberpunk and put the word steam in front of instead because in steampunk there really isn't any punk yeah no like when like and in so much as he doesn't like using that term there are a lot of elements that are associated with that you know quote-unquote genre but no that part of his thing is just the style and the visual aesthetic of the stories, you know, I could see people calling it that, but you know, he has, I guess, you know, it's creator perspective on it. So, but no, that's, that's decent. That's like one of those ones that started me looking outside of like the capes and tights of comic <laughs> books. Quite that. And, uh, what's the other one? Gold digger. Oh, Fred Perry. Love Fred Perry. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, like I said, I'm just really glad to start off this week's solicitation viewing with Phil Foglio's Girl Genius. Big fan. And But sadly, we're going to have to go downhill from here because Archie Comics, some Sonic crap. 
Yeah. Always with the Sonic crap. Uh, it's just, you know, I used to read when it was just like probably the first, say, five or six years of the Sonic Sat AM comic. You know, I, I read that pretty regularly because, you know, I enjoyed the art because I enjoyed the Sonic games and I liked the story. I mean, but once they started just making them like bigger and more epic and, you know, they had eventually they had their own crisis of sorts in the Sonic thing. And I just kind of lost like I just kind of dropped it. I mean, I, I think honestly... it I think it lost perspective quicker than the audience lost perspective. Oh, probably. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I can honestly say the last time I ever spent money out of pocket on a Sonic comic book was the Sonic and Image crossover one-shot special they had back in the day where I, I don't even remember the actual thrust of the story, but something happens where they encounter like Spawn and Savage Dragon and Shadowhawk and just all these like at the time prominent image characters and there's just something... it's it's like it's like looking at at a slice of time in comics. Oh where, yeah, where Image was the big bad, and it's like it's it it it's it's like it's like almost like a time capsule. Yeah, because I mean the the most I remember aside from the fact that they crossed over, there's I remember clear there's this one panel where Sonic is talking smack to Spawn, and I remember because this was back when I was in high school, and I remember looking at that as like oh Hedgehog better shut his mouth. Yeah, okay. you know, it's just something about that. Like, it, it's not the greatest comic. It's not even close to being the greatest comic. But just some, that image always brings a smile to my face. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and move down the list to uh, oh, the new Tarot, Witch of the Black Rose. You know, Jim Balance still still needs to make rent. Uh, where are you on the list? I'm, I'm, I think broadsword. Okay, you, you uh, yeah, you skipped lots of shit there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like that's, that's looking down because, well, I haven't honestly, I haven't looked at anything from Aspen Comics since Mike Turner died. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. There's the only until recently, I'll say, because it's not on the list, but there was this, uh, there was a Legend of the Shadow Clan or something like that. It's basically this. Asian American family discover they're like the last descendants of like this legendary ninja clan, and they all kind of have like uh, the skills, but they haven't you know been awakened or blah blah blah. But that's not on the list this week. Uh, I don't. Do you read anything from Avatar? Because not really. It's uh, it's it looks like a mishmash of interesting idea, interesting idea, interesting idea. Not sure about this. Not sure about this. And Nothing really grabs me. Yeah. From Avatar Press right now. Yeah, okay. What's next? Well, we got the Bleeding Cool magazines out, which I kind of see that is not quite, but it's kind of the quasi-rebirth of Wizard Magazine, at least in as much as Wizard Magazine used to be back in the day, like in the first, the first half of its uh, run, when they actually had articles that you wanted to read. You know, they're actually... It's like four page interview with a writer or artist. You know, it's some they actually say something of merit. It wasn't just what it was towards the end where they're just hyping whatever big story crossover was going on in DC Marvel at the time. You know, back in the day when Wizard magazine was like a, it wasn't a staple magazine, it was a spine magazine. Mm, yes, yes. 
you know, back then, that's when they actually did stuff. But Bleeding Cool, like, that's probably that and Comics Alliance are the only two real comic book news websites that I, you know, visit on a regular basis. And I love the fact that they bring out this magazine. You know, it's their first issue was a free comic book day issue. And it was a full, it was a full, it wasn't like, you know, a 12 page story setting up like a new storyline or just a reprint of something. It was like a full on full page issue. So, yeah, Bart Simpson. Yeah. I can't, I can't believe Bongo comics is still going, honestly. Of course it is. Uh, I just haven't read any of that for, I used to read all the, whenever they brought out the radioactive man comics, cause I just love the, uh, the parody aspect of actually, those comics. Actually, at times it got pretty meta. Yeah? Yeah. Like the one where Radioactive Man met Bart Simpson? No, there was actually one where, where Radioactive Man turned into his pre-crisis self, Radio Man. Oh, God. Really? Yes. I did not know that. Yes. Well, I can just keep hitting you with stuff that you don't know. <laughs> Anyways, that's... Uh... <laughs> no, that's an episode in and of itself. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's called The Whammy. But uh, but let's move on. Let's see here. Plants vs. Zombies has... No, Fanboys vs. Zombies. I, I misread that because Fanboys are a lot like plants now. Yeah. That's actually been... like I've been getting the trades on that series. It's actually not that bad. The zombie apocalypse starts at San Diego Comic-Con. Of course. And it's basically a super version of Con Flu. Okay. Then, then they introduce a comic book. Uh, in that title, they introduce an analog version of uh, Robert Kirkman, who is a complete asshole. So it's Robert Kirkman. Yes. I, okay. I've never met the man, so I wouldn't. That was a joke. Actually, I've heard he was really pleasant in person. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but let's see here. Um Broadsword Comics, we already talked about that. Uh, Dark Horse, Abe Sapien, number one. Yeah, what's the, what's the deal with this number one for a dollar editions that they're bringing out now? Uh, I think that's just a, I think that's just a uh, selling tactic. Okay. Let's see, Captain Midnight, Archives, New Criminal Macabre. That's that's actually been like a decent. Like I'm surprised how much I've gotten into that particular series like i've even bought the uh prose novels that have been released on that and have you ever read that title mm, not yet it's basically this detective who's like he's an alcoholic he's a drug user but he's also like a supernatural weirdest weirdness magnet like you know he when he was a cop back in like Washington DC the first day after he graduates from the academy a zombie attack at the zombies attack his precinct and he find out his precinct is built over the top of an ancient Indian burial ground. And it gets weirder from there. Mm. And so what do you got? Itty bitty Hellboy. Been loving that. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, honestly, I, you know, I used to read, they, they don't have the star Wars out this week, but I used to be a big fan of the like star Wars, dark horse, star Wars titles. Mm. I don't know what happened. Why I, I think they ran out of story ideas for Boba Fett. Yeah, possibly. It's not like <laughs> Boba can't kill another superpowered Sith with a shotgun. <laughs> oh, you know you love that story. Yeah, but I can only really use it maybe one more time before word gets around and I won't be able to pull the whammy on anybody. 
Well, you still have Mary Jane Watson as Red Sonia. Yeah, but I gotta wait for the right time for that one. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm holding on to that trump card, Ben. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> it's a good one, isn't it? Oh, that's that, that, that. That's at least a graphic novel's worth of whammy right there. If I remember correctly, I think that was actually John Byrne who did the art for that one. I think you're right. Oh boy, John. Now we will we will speak more on Mister Byrne shortly. Yes. Let's see, DC. New Adventures of Superman, All-Star Western, still digging that with Jonah Hex in the present. Yes. I know, is there anything you're reading from the New 52 right now? No. Nothing at all? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. <laughs> no, let's see. It's a, I'm reading All-Star Western, I'm reading Aquaman, which is still going pretty good. Uh, I see they got the second issue of the tie-in comic to one of the worst Batman animated series ever, Beware the Batman. Is that going to go long, longer than the cartoon went on? Well, if they get past uh, eight or nine issues, I'd be surprised, because they haven't had a new episode of Beware the Batman in almost three months now, and it's not coming back till January or February. Well, you know, uh, you, know you, hear, you heard it was cancelled, right? I heard it was cancelled, and I heard it was on extended hiatus. That's the same thing with Cartoon Network. Yeah, and I don't want to say I, I don't want to lie to you and say I'm holding out hope. It's like I I just don't care. You know. Well, you know what they do? They need to recast Batman's voice. It's not that Kevin Conroy can't do a good the job anymore, but you know you got to think about the future. Well, you you, you got to get someone that's young. It did a couple comedy roles. Um, does not eat nachos. <laughs> <laughs> oh Ben Someday I'm gonna strap you up like Malcolm McDowell and Clockwork Orange, peel back your eyelids and make you watch every episode in a row. You know, I actually don't mind Beware the Bat I I, I don't mind Batman. Oh no 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 no, I'm not talking about Beware the Batman. Or you, I do not mind Batman Brave and the Bold. I oh, no, 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 no. You know the cartoon I'm talking about. I already saw every episode of that piece of shit. No, no. Yeah, but I'm going to pin your eyelids open. You will not be able to turn away. Oh, I see Tom Strong and the pan, Planet of Peril number five is out. That was actually that's been a surprisingly good. I, 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 can I love understand. Tom Strong. Oh, no, no, no. I love that. I've got every series of Tom Strong in trade. I've. Still would like to get the hardcover of the original series, but I haven't been able to find that. But Planet of Peril is, you know, it goes back to how Marvel had Counter-Earth. You know, there's this other Earth out there. First of all, Counter-Earth is a retarded scientific concept that dates back to Aristotle and Plato and all this shit. Let me explain it to you, to, to your listeners, because it's actually kind of retarded and funny at the same time. Uh, the idea was... Uh, Someone thought, you know, for planets to rotate around the sun, there has to be a counterweight on the other side that we can't see. So counter-Earth is, like, directly on the other side of Earth. Or else, because without it, the Earth would, like, wobble or something. I don't know. It's... (laughs) I get what you're saying. But it it basically, it's a a retarded scientific concept, and... uh, but yeah, let, let's move on to some to some dynamite. Dynamite. 
Oh, God. There, I, see no, I see nothing here that I really want. Battlestar Galactica. Hmm. Which continuity does this? Oh, the old one. Okay. Yeah, and let's see. Alex Ross. Hmm. This might be interesting. Yeah, I think he just does the covers on that, unfortunately. Because Ross hasn't done, like, interiors for a comic in many a year. I don't think he needs to anymore. I, I think, you know, after he... I, I think he pretty much worn himself down after after Kingdom Come. Well, there was also Earth X, but Earth X sucked compared to Kingdom Come. Yeah. And then I, there I'm was... So, uh, I'm sorry, it, it's just true. I mean... Oh, no, I, no, I, I, I get that. But I think the last time he did any interiors, because he was doing... He did for a time, he did the covers for Justice Society of America, like, pre-52 that last series, the last volume, and I think he did some interiors on that. But as far as, like, a regular gig, yeah, he hasn't done anything since Kingdom, really. I think he, he pretty much makes a living doing covers right now, which, you know, more power to him, because I'd sooner just look at a cover done by Alex Ross than, you know, an entire issue's worth of art. But that's just me. Well, I always liked this for the realism a lot more than, uh, what's his name? Fuck then you know Brian Hitch sort of when it, Brian Hitch went full photorealism he sort of lost all the fun his art had back in the day yeah no i remember that i mean he, 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 number 1 he stopped hitting deadlines number 2 his art looked way too uncanny valley to be fun anymore oh yeah no i remember when i was still reading like excalibur from marvel and I, that's probably the first place i really for like that mid to late 90s to the early aughts was probably the best period of brian hitch's art before he started doing ultimates i actually liked his jla run yeah but i mean that like that was just before he got up into the hardcore photorealism though because you know well, there's like yeah the number one he had to draw weird martians and st shit like that and he didn't and there since there are no martians around he had to like draw from imagination still yeah now what else you got on here uh, dark shadows and that's just based on the old tv show I've yeah. actually read some of that. It's not, you know, as far as supernatural melodrama goes, it's not bad. Oh, here's IDW doing lots of other people's IP. Yeah. Again. Danger Girl, Doctor Who. Although they did put out, uh, they just finished a series through IDW called Doctor Who Prisoners of Time, which was kind of a comic book 50th anniversary owed to Doctor Who, which was kind of fun to read. It's just, I kind of gave up on collecting, putting Doctor Who in my monthly pull list, because, you know, it's either, oh, it's an ongoing series, oh, we're going to cancel it after eight issues, and I was like, I'll just wait for the trade. <laughs> you know, we got, but yeah, but they got stuff, the G.I. Joe, the Ghostbusters. The X-Files, the yeah. Transformers. Thunder Agents, which I haven't read any of the Thunder Agents, or got the, the trade of the original Thunder Agents from way back in the day, and I've got... I could go and get, like, the pre- and post-52 Thunder Agents miniseries in trade. I don't know if I really want to. Mm. Well, no, let's move on a little bit more because we're, because we're starting to run a little thin on yeah. the solicitations section. So, let's see. Image. Don't see anything that's, well, Walking Dead out of Image, you know. But, you know what? That, all we can say about that is it's still going. Yeah. Okay. Five Ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. You really need to, if you've ever enjoyed, like, a pulp 
adventure sort of story, that's when you would I highly recommend to anybody listening. You know, it's just it's it's a it's a serial. It's uh, Indiana or it's like a Raiders of the Lost Ark style story. I can't stop saying anything good about that. Just and let's hit Marvel really quick and let's hit it quick and hard. Uh. Well, they finally ended Marvel Battle Royal. I mean, Avengers Arena. Thank God for that. Uh-huh. It's uh, literally, they take teenage characters from the Marvel Universe and put them on Murder Island. No, I, I, I've, seen, I've seen Battle Royal. I, I know. I got the reference. I, oh, God. Uh, new Hawkeye. Finally, the finale of Infinity. What's mm-hmm. this? Ooh, the new Masterworks Ant-Man Giant Man. I might have to pick that up. Mm. Let's see here. Uh, see here. Still not reading Kick-Ass. Just nope. don't like it. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, the Nova number 10, which is technically the 100th issue of Nova. So, at least to something to be noted. I might want to actually... I'm not one for getting... I'm very often getting like alternate covers, but uh, <coughs> some of these would be worth at least the uh, Sal Buscema variant cover would definitely be worth it on that well the ed mcginnis cover actually is not terrible yeah it's just like oh yes there's an agents of shield cover because you know no that and that's uh, for the mcginnis cover that's actually very nice you know the just kind of iconic pose like that against the it's it's very understated it's it's not all super saiyan too yeah no it's it's nice it's simple it's i like it uh, what else do they got here? Uh, it's a new Scarlet Spider. You know, I'd I'd probably get that series in trade eventually. Like, I'm just a sucker for Spider-Man stuff. The new Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uncanny Avengers. Have you ever looked at that title? <sighs> Not yet. No, that one. It, it's it's kind of like the Fantastic Four in a sense that the Fantastic Four, while you know, Air, Mr. Fantastic and the things show up. You know, in a crossover, it, the storyline going on in that title isn't necessarily affected by what's going on in the Marvel Universe very much. And the same thing with Uncanny Avengers. It's a hybrid X-Men Avengers team. And the storyline that's going on there right now, it's basically the twins of Apocalypse are trying to create a mutant utopia world where all the mutants on Earth can come and live in peace. And for the scale of things that are going on in that story, you'd think the it would tie in or be affected by infinity. And it's really not, which is strange to me because the part, part of the thing is Marvel has this problem sometimes where things start ramping up in one tile and you're like, well, this is going to affect other tiles and it doesn't. And part of it is, you know, part of it is some writers ramp up too quickly and other writers, writers and artists ramp up too slow. And, and you get these situations where, where these characters do meet and cross over at times and it doesn't feel like quite as continuous a universe as it could at times, if that makes yeah. sense. But, uh, let's, uh, let's move on to, uh, to the last bits of, uh, these solicitations and then we will, uh, hit a break. Okay. Um, uh, I don't see anything else from now. Nah, let, let's just, unless you want to talk about grim fairy tales, no, honestly, the only I've 
honestly, it, grim fairy tales. Well, a lot of my friends, there's a decent say. There's a decent story there. I still view a lot of the Xenoscope books the same way I view Jim Ballon's Tarot, which is it's like eighty percent to ninety nine percent cheesecake art and. It's not that I don't like looking at that stuff. If I'm looking at comics, I don't know why you would say that. It's no. It's just I can't look at a comic and <laughs> divorce look at, myself. Look at, look at look at the link I saw. Oh, you evil son of a bitch! Now, well, see, yeah, I'm, I'm losing the ability to form good word. <laughs> I'd have no idea what why you would say that about grim fairy tales. I mean, it's it's not like the interior Pretty. is like. It's not like the interior is like that. Oh, God. Oh, God. My brain just cramped. And if you're <laughs> wondering why I'm sounding like a gibbering idiot, folks, is Ben sent me a picture that when I look at it, I find it really hard to speak good. <laughs> well, anyways. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad image. I'm just saying it's making me not think well. Yes. Think well with the inkwell, but uh, let's uh, let's have the break here. We will come back and talk about uh, talk about the topic of the show. It's time for intermission, boys and girls. Like animation? Come listen to Animation Aficionados. And if you disagree with us, you could be a guest on a future show. Available on iTunes, the Zoom Market, and AnimationAficionados.com. Hey, I'm Gary. I'm Mike. I'm Chuck. And I'm Justin. Join the four of us every week on the Internet's number one and longest-running G.I. Joe podcast, What's on Joe Mind? It's Joe news, reviews, and interviews like you've never heard them before, delivered right to your MP3 player. Our guests include Jason Marsden, Kevin Michael Richardson, and Matt Yang King from G.I. Joe Renegades, Larry Hama, Robert Atkins, and John Barber from IDW Publishing, and many more from around the online Joe community. Yeah, it's guys talking about Joe. Think of it as Joe talk meets sports talk. And we make fun of Chuck. Right, and we pay again. Come on, Chuck. We're just kidding kinda sometimes chuck makes fun of himself right and we okay seriously this is just getting ridiculous now it's what's on joe mind every week on the geek cast radio network inside pulse.com stitcher smart radio and itunes download and listen today i suppose i still can't say something about transformers can i Good on, no what about sports that sounds yeah, good yeah that's all right it's action it's drama it's comedy it's Desean, the superhero webcomic. Desean has superhero antics and sexy girls. Catch updates weekly at Desean.com and NoSuperPants.com. And now, back to the show. And we're back. Uh, once again, our topic is part of the series Defending Post-Crisis DC. Specifically, today's topic will be Defending Man of Steel. I have a little bit of a story about Man of Steel. It's uh, you know obviously John Byrne rebooting the Superman franchise, the Superman mythos, and I got some things to say about this. Um, number one, lots of things that people like put on his feet is stuff that was broken down and laid to him by editorial. Uh, there were several edicts that DC had about the new Superman mythos that they, that they laid in stone and said, you can't, you can't break apart from this. You can't go against this. Number one was Superman is the only Kryptonian. We're not, so they made that decision only early on. There will be no other Kryptonians. We aren't going to have tons and tons of Kryptonian survivors because they felt that that would diminish 
the tragedy of Krypton exploding. So there would be no Kara, Kara Zor-El. There will be no um, Zod. There, there would be just none of those characters around. There would be no Bottle City of Kandor. They wanted to minimize all that. They, there will be no Crypto, the super dog. And that led to lots of creative decisions later on in the crisis. You know, the Supergirl was the alien shapeshifter matrix from a pocket dimension. Um, Superboy was not a Kryptonian clone. He was a metahuman clone with his DNA structure modified to be as Kryptonian as possible. And lots of other decisions were made. Don't even get me started on crypto because crypto was a weird fucking thing that they did. <laughs> uh, Where Superboy had an ordinary white dog that he just randomly named crypto? No, 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 no. Number one, that was, uh, it wasn't Su- Superboy who named him. It was, uh, it was, what's his name? The, the, the sailor. Uh, Bibbo? Yeah, Bibbo named him. Crypto. Oh, okay. Bibbo Babowski. Bibbo Babowski named him crypto but uh that's another story and i love bibbo by the way bibbo's a great character um but back to what john byrne did lots of people lots of the initial pre-crisis silver age fans hated it and hated him for what he did to their mythos and let me tell you a story i i i've told stories about mentor my mentor before and the, the biggest story that about him is he left the industry. He quit the industry in 1980. 1980, he stopped because he saw the industry going into a darker direction he didn't want to be a part of. So he quit. I sent him Man of Steel, the, the trade paperback for Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. He read it. And you know what he said to me? What? Other than the Krypton parts, this is perfect. Really? Yes. He didn't like the Krypton part? No. He liked the idealistic, you know, pulp adventure Krypton. The stuff that Kurt Swan sort of did, you know? Where, like, Jarrell had the gold headband. And yeah. He, he, yeah, no, I remember that stuff. It's the more Flash, the Flash Gordon Krypton, basically. Yes, yes. And he didn't quite like the sterile alien world, but at the same time... Everything else he loved. He loved everything else. He loved the lowest lane. He loved how they handled Bizarro. He loved all of it. His only issue was Krypton. And I think that that is funny. Because because in my mind, in my mind, Krypton is something that happened. Krypton is an event, not not a place anymore in, in the Superman mythos. And people who care more about what Krypton was like than where Superman is going are people who just don't understand how to write good Superman stories. Because who cares what Krypton was like? Krypton's dead. People who care about what color the flowers were on Krypton are people who are bad storytellers. Just like, uh, just like, uh, what, who, whoever did that, uh, you know, Superman birthright where they're like, Oh, we're going to retell how Krypton was like again. Mark Wade. I love Mark Wade, but at the same time, I think people have a hard-on for trying to set their vision of Krypton. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. And like I said, I love Mark Wade, but I disagree with him on this. I think that Krypton is the least important part of the Superman story. 
not that it isn't an important part. It's just not as important as where he's other going. Aspects. Yeah. Because it has nothing to do with where he's going. Krypton could be anything. He wasn't. He doesn't have memories of Krypton. Krypton's a dead place to him. And that's the big thing is in every version of the mythos, except for the radio show, Superman does not know Krypton. He grew up as Clark Kent at a farm in Kansas. Everything, no, I, everything I else that. doesn't matter. You know, if Durrell was was a sterile scientist or or a, or a Doc Savage esque adventurer, that does not matter to who Superman is now. That might be an interesting story to tell. Don't get me wrong; I would love to read stories like that. That would be an interesting story to tell. But to constantly reboot Superman because you aren't happy with how someone else handled how Krypton is. Get over it. But back to Mr. Byrne. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, John Byrne. And the thing to keep in mind is lots of people lambast him over what he was going to do and then made decisions not to do. And I think that's not fair. I think it's great that John Byrne was very forthcoming with what his initial ideas were. And I think it's great that he admits that he backed off because he realized that was a bad idea. Like his idea was Laura would come to come to Earth with Kal-El. And Laura would be exposed to kryptonite and die to show how deadly kryptonite is. Yeah, that could. But let me let me put it this way: He said that that was an idea. He he didn't. We and he said he abandoned it. I don't think it's fair to lambast a man for telling his audience parts of this creative process. Because the thing is this, if you keep on lambasting the man for it, he won't just he won't tell you what his creative process is anymore. And also, he didn't do it. A great example of this is uh, Lord of the Rings. You ever seen Lord of the Rings, Return of the King? Yeah. You know that giant orc thing that uh, that Aragorn, Aragorn fought? Yeah. That was originally going to be Sauron. What? Yes. Until Peter Jackson said, Okay, that's stupid. We're going to replace Sauron with a giant orc. Yeah. And like I said, w w would you crucify Peter Jackson for having an idea that he decided was a bad idea and didn't do? No, I wouldn't. Then why are people criticizing John Byrne for not having Laura die from kryptonite exposure on Earth to show what deadly kryptonite is? Because he didn't do it. He taught, He said he was going to do it, and he said he realized it was a bad idea, and he didn't do it, but I, I don't see the harm in that. Well, some people just can't get over themselves, unfortunately. And there's other things that, that are criticism people give to Man of Steel. Um, the fact that there was no Superboy, that, that Clark Kent never had a Superboy career. I'm actually okay with this. Yeah, see, that's... The one thing I would with, uh, like, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again, I love Silver Age comics. That's just something that never jibed with me, you know, for pre-Man of Steel. is like how, how you know, Clark Kent lived in Smallville and Superboy was there. And how did, you know, wouldn't the bouncing ball of logic connect him and Superman, you know, years later when they're grown up like that? So, yeah, the idea of that well, Superman being Superboy... Or they can always Sorry? ask Pete. They can always ask Pete Ross at the high hop. He'll just oh, tell you God. everything. Yeah, he's like oh, girl talking to me. Because <laughs> that's literally what the look on his face said. 
in the movie. You know, it's nice to know that he grew beyond Dick Splash, but <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just that's just wrong. But yeah, it's. I mean, as far as the crucifixion of John Byrne, I mean, there's been other things that he said in his career that I've read about that, well, yeah, the guy can be kind of a dick, but why people heap all this hatred for something else that he said on something like this doesn't, like, I don't understand that disconnect. Like, you know, you might not what he like what he said over here working at Marvel, but, you know, he brought this genuine love of comic books and Superman to the man of steel miniseries. So I agree with you on that. It's like, you know, how, how can you hate on him for something else when you're talking about something completely different? So, you know, it's just, I don't understand that. Like I've always loved John Byrne's artwork. It's kind of in that same, I kind of put him in that same category that I put Jim Lee in just in that they both have this style. That's very, you know, it, it, it gives for decent, very good action sequences, you know, solid artwork, very detailed, but not overly so. And that's something, that, and the fact in this comic book, for stuff that I'd seen he'd done for years before, like in Fantastic Four and that, uh, he kind of toned it down a bit in Man of Steel. Because when you look at his artwork in Man of Steel, you recognize it as being John Byrne. It has this very solid base, you know, lots of details but it's almost uh a lot of the rough edges have been smoothed away with his work in this particular miniseries yeah but uh, th- there's so many good parts about man of steel i especially like the, the meaning of batman and superman in it and uh and the intro to one of the most 80s batman villains ever oh was that the magpie yes oh god but okay, uh, I'll, we we spoke about this before recording tonight. The Magpie in Beware the Batman, yes, is a better at least design wise is better designed than the Magpie that showed up in the Man of Steel miniseries. One of the most '80s Batman villains ever. But uh, again, what I loved about this is uh, is is at the end they sort of do a wink at the Silver Age world's finest comics and also at the same time quote balance of terror star trek the original series episode nine um Mm -hmm. where batman watches Superman fly away and says if i only knew him in another universe i could call him friend and i remember that and and i i love shit like that and uh and lois lane was great in this in this comic too there's a (laughs) i mean and also the the other big complaint is like about Lex Luthor, how he's like a, a corrupt he's not business. The mad, yeah, he's not the mad scientist anymore. I sort of like the suave businessman Luthor, and th- this of course is not yet suave yet. I mean, Lex Luthor had to go through uh, through a clone body and a deal with the devil to become the suave Lex Luthor that people would yeah. know and love. But uh, but this is the beginning of of where Lex Luthor should be going, I think, because, because the evil mad scientist Lex Luthor sort of didn't have a lot of legs going on with him. And it's again, to revert him back to that after he had all this money and power and, you know, he just goes a little crazy and goes, you know, you know, snidely whiplash. It's just kind of, it's cheap. I like the idea. uh, I like the idea of a suave Lex Luthor who, 
who wants to control Metropolis like like his Monopoly board. Yeah, because I mean the how I guess the best way to describe Les Luthor is like how he he doesn't really you don't see much of a transformation in this thing because I mean it was years later in the comics, but like the best version of Lex Luthor that mixes the mad scientist and the suave businessman is Clancy Brown in Superman yes. TAS. Yes. Like just that whole sequence at the end of like the first, you know, three episodes where he's sitting there monologuing to Batman. And he's like, why don't you just Superman. fly in and we'll talk? Superman. Sorry. Sorry. Talking to Superman. Just why don't you just fly in and we'll have a talk about it? You know, the whole time. And just, you realize that whole monologue is like, he actually expects Superman to just bend over backwards for him. And you get the same sense in in Man of Steel where where Lex Luthor just basically gives Superman a lot of money. Is like, here, you're on my retainer now. And he's like, uh, I don't work for anybody. No, oh, no, no, my boy. Money is no object. He's like, no, you're not listening. I don't work for anybody. Yeah. Just like like this is before Luthor really like he's still that genius businessman. You know that's all in there and that genius level intellect, but. It's so clouded by arrogance at this point because no one outside of Lois Lane has told him no. Yes. And, and just and this is after the fact, you know, kind of glossing over how Superman's first contact with Lex Luthor is Luthor knows that Superman's operating Metropolis, so he sets up a fake terrorist hijacking on his luxury yacht. And what I love about this is you also get to see uh, some of Lois Lane, the action star here, because uh, it, the whole sequence is great from from the beginning to the end. Because the issue starts with Lois coming to uh, coming to uh, Clark's apartment to uh, to pick him uh, up for the shindig. Yes, and and what I love is you get the, you get a sense that Lois is not an ordinary chick. All through this call because because that's that's just how John Byrne structures her. You get the feeling that she's an army brat, which is great. But but one of my favorite scenes is where Clark shaves. He comes out and Lois is doing arm curls with his weights, and, and she's like she's like, "Are you sure you got? Are you sure you got uh, you got those those big guns with just these weights? They're kind of puny, Clark." And doesn't he see something like, "I uh, do a lot of reps." Yeah. <laughs> And he thinks, like himself, he thinks to himself, I should get bigger weights. And I love it because she's wearing this fancy dress and her hair is all made up and and her makeup's all made up and she just starts doing reps. Yeah, she's just five, you know, just, just you know, six, seven. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, it's like this Lois Lane is, I think, like more or less the definitive version of Lois Lane. You know, it's got a lot of the, you know, won't take no for an answer. I can get any star I want to Lois from the silver age to, you know, a lot of the Margot Kidder from the movies, you know, at least in the attitude and all that. And that's the other thing I love about John Byrne's art specifically, because you have like the end of the first issue where, you know, Clark has developed his suit with his parents' help and he flies away. It's, it's got this great iconic, like John Byrne draws him. He's built like solid, but he's not like, you know, overly muscled. He's not Super, super Saiyan 3. Yeah, he, has, he hasn't got Super Saiyan 3 the way Ed McGinnis tends to draw him years later. And it's the same thing, like, Burns' art is, you know, realistic to a point, especially with Lois here, because you see her, she's drawn as, like, you know, an attractive woman, and a normal, you know, woman, you know, very much 80s with that dress. 
But... Yeah, but the, what I love about that whole thing was th- th- there's such, there's such a, like a dichotomy of, of femininity with masculinity with, you know, how she's made up and dolled up and, and there she is doing the reps. I just love that panel because it's just – because it's, it's like, wow. It's, yeah, it's... I mean, welcome to the 80s. <laughs> but yeah, and then if you look on uh... – I love how they they kind of harken back with the art of Lex Luthor in these first couple issues. They go back to the original red-haired Lex Luthor. Because, I mean, at this point, the crisis on Infinite Earths has come and gone. They're rebooting their universe. You know, they're starting over with Superman. And a lot of people, their introduction to Lex Luthor was, you know, cue ball Lex Luthor. I mean, I didn't know until, like, years later when I got, like, the first round of DC trading cards. And they had, like, Golden Age... Alexi Luther, who's, you know, this redhead sort of thing. Like he had this red hair back in the day. And in this one, you know, when you meet Lex Luther, you know, he's got some chrome dome going on. Yeah. See, there's Ben just sent me a picture. Of, you know, she's sitting there with this impossibly low cut dress. Yes. Like she's, she's got a JLo dress before JLo was a thing, <laughs> you know, and she's sitting there curling. And that looks to be at least 25, 30 pounds that she's curling with there. Yes. You know, but when we meet Lex Luthor, you know, he's got the tux and he's dressed, you know, to the nines, but he's got this red hair with the chrome dome peeking out. And just, he had, at this point, like, he isn't suave Luther. he's kind of Brian Dennehy. Like, he's just got this thickness to him, like this craggy kind of thickness sort of to him. You know, he's kind of heavy set and, again, get back to the whole thing I said, like, he, he basically hijacks his own party with some fake terrorists and the mayor of Metropolis deputizes Superman on the spot. And he's like, no one's going to arrest me. You know, it's like, you know, what do you call it? Like somebody from the hills or something, one of those MTV reality shows, like getting arrested. Don't you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> and then that's when he's like, I will expend every resource. When he gets out of jail, I'm going to spend all this resources. I'm going to use every aspect of my organization. I will ruin you. And Superman's like, try it. I mean that's not exactly it, but that's more or less what it boils and, and, down and to. And another another great scene from this was uh, was when the uh, was was Lois actually steals a machine gun from one of the uh, from one of the terrorists, and she starts shooting the machine gun, and all she's wearing is Clark's uh, dinner jacket because she find that she found out that the uh, that the dress was was Lex's way of trying winning favor for for her, so she takes the dress off right there, takes Clark's jacket. And so she's, she's all she's wearing is this dinner jacket and heels. And she's like shooting a machine gun. <laughs> and it's like comics, everybody. Yeah. And like I said, you get the sense that she's like an action star, you know, not just this, uh, not just this pretty face. That's a damsel in distress anymore that, you know, this is the definitive Lois Lane that other people start, you know, basing, future versions of Lois Lane off of. I mean, yeah. this, this was, uh, this is not, uh, this is not, you know, I, I, I can read this as sort, sort of hear Dana Delaney's voice. Oh yeah. No, cause see right there. And she kicks the guy right in the pills. <laughs> and, uh, and I love that the sound effect that burn drew in there. Chuck. Yeah. Not boing, not crack, just Chuck. Well, that's the onomatopoeia. Yeah. Oh, God. But, I mean, 
I love the the before they do the party issue, they take something, and this is like right out of like Superman two with Lois Lane. Like the whole issue is basically her, more or less the most of the issue is her trying to get the story on Superman. And what and, I love is is like every panel is like where she just missed him. She's wearing a different eighty style dress. Oh yeah, like she's got like this you know leather jacket with the furry collar, and then she's got like this big parka thing. And then she's got like this, I don't just some big overcoat with like a floppy French hat. And then she's got like a lady's trench coat with a Phil Marlowe fedora. And then it goes to her office and she's changed her clothes yet again. You see, you know, four foot nothing Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> you know, I like how he just curls up on her desk and he's like, geez, man, you're not even a, f- a photo photojournalist yet. You're rather forward. But what I'm talking about is where she goes over the side of the bridge or off a dock or something in her car just to lure out Superman to get the interview. And Superman's like, by the way, are, were you sure that that, that, uh, Aqualung? that yeah, Aqualung on your seat would have lasted long enough? Yeah. I mean, she's sitting there. She's just had a shower. She's basically in like a house coat and her hair tied up. And they have this one panel and she's more or less flirting with him while trying to interview him. And then she goes, she writes up the story and she walks in. I've got the story, chief. You've been scooped. And she's like, but... But, but, and he's like, let me introduce you to your new, uh, your new partner, you know, and it's Clark Kent. Yes. And, and just the, the, the pissed off, like, I will end you angry look that she has right. on her face. It was awesome. And, and what, what I love is, is how Clark starts trying to figure out this whole, you know, if he slouches a little bit and, but at the same time, at the same time, he, he has these broad shoulders and these big guns. So he's always thinking of ways to make it look, to explain it in. Like that goes again to the weight, the weights that he had. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, he does weights and he used to play football. So, so he's trying to explain it, but at the same time, you know, Lois going, these are kind of whippy weights, Clark. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I could just go on and on about what I love about those specific scenes because it's just such greatness in 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 how he structured who Superman should be. Yeah, and, and who Lois Lane should be, and uh, and I just it, love the scene pre- previous to this where uh, you see how he drew the uh, the ocean liner, which is his quote unquote yacht for Lex Luthor. How they he draws like the perspective of that just being lifted out of the water, mm-hmm. you know, and it goes you know with Lois you know firing off the gun and everything. It's the my I think my favorite sequence of panels is after he brings the ship back to shore. And uh, there's this guy who's drawn on Lois and, you know, Superman blocks the shot. And it's a continuation of Superman just basically reaching down the barrel of a gun and just completely s- destroying it with every pinch. <laughs> you know, and it's just like he stops just short of, you know, mangling the guy's hand. And and I love how he's, this is a check for 25000 Like Luther gives him a $25,000 retainer. <laughs> And just the smile is, uh, I think there's been a misunderstanding, Mr. Lisa. Like, just, that's the one thing I think my favorite thing about John Byrne's art overall in his career is the way he does, draws faces and expressions. Yes. Like, because they have that whole scene where Luther, you know, gives him the check and Superman's like, uh, I, I don't think you understand, Mr. Luther. And Luther just has this maniacal, shit-eating grin on his face. 
He's like, nonsense. Anyone who's anyone works for me. You're too valuable a resource. And, like, you can see this guy has crawled completely up his own ass. Yes. And then, you know, he drops the bomb at your security team, blah, blah, blah. He knew this was going to happen, the terrorist thing. And it's just the whole idea, like, how they draw him. Just He's smiling right up until Lex, until Lex Luthor, you're under arrest. And all of a sudden, it's just like frowny face. And you see him, you doing the mug shot and getting printed and walk through the station and locked. And it's just beautiful how he just keeps the same perspective of like, I am going to ruin so many people after this. Yes. And then he, you know, he has that he has that whole encounter with Superman in the front of the police station, the police station or hospital or something. But yeah, he basically tells him like, this is how it works, and you're going down and. Well, Superman doesn't actually say try it like he did in the cartoon. And he did say, he's like, I'll be watching you, Luther. But he just, I love the look that Byrne gave Superman as he's staring down Lex Luthor here. And that just kind of leads into, this is honestly, it leads into the next issue, which is the fifth and the sixth issue series. First, it, first panel is probably one of my favorite shots of Superman ever. And it's referencing the, again, like how Luther has the red hair. This first panel on page, or first page, issue five, is Superman holding the Lex Luthor green and purple battle suit by the neck, basically. And it's one of first of many encounters where, you know, he's foiled one of Luther's schemes. He's marched the evidence right into Luther's office. And he's like, uh, I didn't do this. Oh, this guy was fired like months ago. And, and he, he and stole he, this, but unfortunately, he didn't know that it would totally make his brain into cottage cheese when he plugged into it. Yeah. And he's a complete vegetable. Obviously, the poor devil didn't know that. And like that, so you've come all this way for nothing. And then it goes into the lab, and this is the issue that we meet the first version of post-crisis Bizarro. And a concept of Luther trying to clone Superman that runs for many, many years in the comics. Uh, Bizarro has always kind of been one of my favorite uh, Superman villains, just because I've, I've always liked, you know, that dark mirror reflection of a hero. Mm -hmm. And I just love the fact that it starts off, you know, he comes out, he looks perfect. And then he starts, you know, the hair starts falling out and his skin going chalk white. And he starts, he starts breaking down. Yeah. And it's, not that I, I, I mean, I like the whole kind of reverse back talk that Bizarro has, like me here to ruin the day, you know, like the sort of way uh, how Tim Daly did in the animated series. But I like him more when he's just this kind of chalky, zombified version of Superman. Until later on, he he always had to have. It's not like the Kurt Swan Bizarro where he had like the cracked, yeah, rock-like face, and it's just white skin and kind of zombified look to him and unfortunately i mean this is one of the greatest cop-outs for curing an affliction in comic books where the, Superman, dust, from, the dust from his his exploded body cures uh, lois's sister's blindness yeah like how bizarre and superman are just going like full tilt boogie at each other and just boom and the the resulting powder you know like the dead skin cells basically and, yeah, Lucy was blinded by chemicals. So, of course, you know, corrupted DNA is the cure. Comics, everybody. Well, I think it's more like dander. Yeah. 
or maybe it's just you know it's uh not uh, what do you call it dandruff bizarro's dandruff has miraculous he- healing properties it's kind of a curative yeah and then next like the sixth issue and we go back to smallville and this is it's kind of a trope of superman comics how he goes to the bus station in smallville and he's flown the whole way there and then he just puts on a burst of super speed as he changes his clothes and he mingles with arriving passengers and you know it's like i just got off the bus from kansas city you know, and and, year, and I love that trope, but I mean, years later, by the early mid-90s, like not even 10 years later, they pretty much just got, he flies to Smallville right to the farm, and if they go into town, hey, Clark, when did you get here? Oh, I came in on the bus. <laughs> you know, but I love that Ma and Pa Kent. And... Uh, what I also love is is uh, pretty much Byrne uses Clark to justify what I just said, where, where the energy program of Jarrell comes and puts the knowledge of Krypton in Clark's head and Clark rejects it and says, I know all this history of Krypton, but that doesn't make me who I am. It's Ma and Pa Kent who makes me who I am. Yeah. And I also like the fact that Pa Kent throws a shovel at Jarrell and wins. Yeah. Well, it's like Uncle Owen and the shotgun. Yes. Pretty much. Although apparently they use a very volatile energy because it nukes like half the shovel. Yes, but you also get the sense that uh, that uh, that Pa Kent would do anything to protect Clark, even though technically technically Clark Clark is stronger than him, but still he, to him he, Clark's his boy. So yeah, and one of the things like that to illustrate how Clark has grown, because I've read online that from the beginning of the first issue to the end of the sixth, it's basically a ten-year period. I've read that too, yes. Yeah, and I love – it shows by the end of this issue you see how Clark has grown as, you know, a man and he's coming to his own because they have the flashback sequence where, you know, the first time he gets zapped by uh, the Jarellogram and, you know, he goes off wondering and he wanders onto Lana Lang's property and you ha- you have that flashback where she basically rips him a new one because uh, they're going to, like, <laughs> of course, the Victory Saw Cop. Yeah, because that's how they do things in Kansas, and uh, you know he. This is after his realization, you know, what he's got to do with his life, and they go for a walk, and he tells her everything and shows her what he can do, and then he basically kisses her goodbye, and specifically that it reads like a brother kissing his sister, and then he's just gone, and and he's like, I still understand, and she basically, you asshole, you pretty much ruined my life. Because it's like you showed me this wonderful world and then all of a sudden you close it off on me in like 10 seconds. Yeah. And but you see, you know, in the country, like he's like, you know, I love you, Clark, and all that. And you see how he, you know, he apologizes and, you know, how Lana just he doesn't spit it back in his face. But, you know, she you see him how he takes this and he realizes, you know, what he's done. And it's just something that illustrates how Clark has grown in these 10 years. Yes. And then he goes to uh, where the – and I love in the comic book, it, unlike the movie or the cartoon or Smallville, how Pa Kent didn't immediately haul the rocket away. He just left it where it lay for all these years. You know, it's missing when Clark's there, and it leads into, like, the first issue of the ongoing, like, the new rebooted Superman and he gets the 
you know, he gets the Jurel, he gets the Krypton download, and Pa Kent saves him. And I love the inner monologue of Superman over the last three issues, how, you know, he's working it out in his head, and he, by the end of it, he just embraces, you know, his humanity more than anything, because, like, the last two lines, it was Krypton that made me Superman, but it's Earth that makes me human. Right. And that is, like, honestly one of my favorite endings to a comic book of all time. Absolutely, and I agree with you. I think that this is really the part of the problem that most people don't understand with uh, with it is, like I said earlier, people care too much about what Krypton was like versus what Superman is like. Well, yeah, and, I mean, you can have an interest in knowing what Krypton's like. I mean, after this, John Byrne went on to do a World of Krypton miniseries because, you know, obviously the demand was there and the interest was there in the creators, but it's not like you have to know what Jarrell had for breakfast the day Krypton exploded. Absolutely, yep. and I think if, I think that's the big problem is people are so so obsessed with having Krypton their way that the comics aren't going anywhere anymore, yeah. and and except going back to where Krypton was, so people can keep on telling their own version of it over and over again until you have nothing but stories about you know, six or seven different stories about Krypton. And it's like, for the love of God, just, you know, stop. Yeah, because, I mean, and it's just that years later, they went back to the pre the Kurt Swan Krypton in a storyline where it was basically, I think it's like, it's had something to do with the with the Phantom Zone, and there was like a make-believe Krypton there. There was like, It was Jarrell's dream. Yeah, I mean, it was it was one where uh, McGinnis was doing the art at the time. It was called Return to Crypt. It, it was it was actually a, it was actually two different story arcs. One was called The Real Truth of Krypton, where what happened in that one is a uh, and actually the funny thing is is Superman pretty much called bullshit on it, going wait wait this doesn't make sense because I met the Eradicator. And I met this, this, and that, and it pretty much says this one version of Krypton, but all of a sudden, just this hologram's telling me that there's another version. Wait a minute, this doesn't... They, Superman actually points this out in the story. He actually points this out in the story. And I was like, wow. And then all of a sudden, it's like, uh, Emil Hamilton's like, hey, we can send you to the to old Krypton again. So Superman and Lois Lane go to old Krypton in the story called Return to Krypton, where Superman actually saves Krypton, and then it turns out that that wasn't really Krypton. It was Jarrell's dream, and stuff happens. And the Eradicator was there, and uh, and that's how he got Crypto in post crisis. Well, yeah, that, that well, that's post uh, post zero hour, but pre Infinite Crisis, I think, at that point. Yeah. Believe me, I I tend to I I, I could almost apologize for I can apologize for zero hour, but. <sighs> It's some days it, it I don't know if I should. Over, overall, I think that Man, Man of Steel is actually quite an excellent reboot. Oh yeah, it, it's it's not like Mark Wade's like Birthright years later where they they basically Birthright was pretty much you seen Smallville. It's kind of like that. Yeah, it 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 glosses over everything and uh, honestly. And I know you're not a big fan of the man, but uh, if Jeff John's secret origin is, at least in spirit, is more like Man of Steel than Birthright, 
And I mean, Birthright pretty much flat out ignores what John Byrne did, you know, in order to reboot and update the, you know, the origin for the Smallville generation, which it wasn't really necessary because I don't want to speak towards, you know, the Smallville generation's intelligence, but I think if anyone with half a brain could read Man of Steel and still enjoy it as a great Superman story. Exactly, as as did my mentor. Yeah, whereas Birthright basically turns his origin into a jacked-up alien invasion. I mean, honestly, the only thing that I liked about uh, this Birthright, and there's two things. Uh, one was it gave, I wouldn't say a more natural, but it gave a better origin to the citizens of Metropolis you know, embracing Superman uh, because initially they have, well, he's bad and he's part, he's part of this alien invasion of like where Lex Luthor creates a fake Kryptonian invasion. And uh, then, you know, you see the people, they blame Superman for the invasion and then they see him fighting to save them and they kind of embrace him and they say, okay, maybe he's not such a bad guy. And I kind of like that bit. And, and this is just me and I kind of like hokey, cliched moments in comics i like how the fact that lex luther has basically created like a radio telescope communicator that he can look back because uh, he's got a piece of kryptonite that's encoded with kryptonian information and he somehow creates a communicator that he can see the past and it has this thing where you know superman recognizes his birth parents and he's like mom dad i made it and you see in the very end of the birthright that, you know, Lara and Jorel saw that and they heard him. They know that their son survived. So I, I like that part, but two good things does not a great series make. Absolutely. You know, and it's not that I don't like his art, but it's, uh, was it Lennel Francis Yu did art for the series? And he's done a lot of good work, uh, Silent Dragon, which is a miniseries he did through the Wildstorm comics back in the day, and it's it's kind of a cyberpunk samurai grindhouse sort of story, which is a lot of fun if you enjoy that sort of thing. And his art's good there, but it's I don't think his art is very well suited for Superman. Because it's not like you have to be Ed McGuinness in a Super Saiyan 3, but at the same time, you want to have a kind of a solid core to the art, and I don't see that with the francis Yu's art but that's just me and birthright whereas you know burn obviously he he this was his a game on man of steel i know what what do you think about that overall i think man of steel is one of the better reimaginings of the superman origin for a new time and like i said gotta keep in mind burn was working against restrictions that the others put down you know, like I said, there were there were rules. You know, Superman has to be the only survivor Krypton. There's no dogs. There's no cats. There's no, there's no horses. There's no nothing. It's you know, just Superman. And the people after him did good work with that too. He did good work with it as well. It's just I think I think it's a shame that people don't see past. No, this isn't the Superman I know. It has to be exactly the way I want it. And I think that that's not. I don't think that's very fair. And I always try to be open about this sort of thing and be like, there is no supposed to be's. But at the same time, there's a core to the character. And speaking of Man of Steel, the movie got it completely wrong. Yeah. 
I'm not even going to try and apologize. I like the movie. In well, it, you know what? If if you off. like the if you if you like the Christopher Reeve movies, but you want it to be dark, depressing, and, and with lots of death, and here's the movie for you, Psycho. Well, I'm just saying it's like I like the movie in that there were as stuff that I that they liked. were rocking the dragon in the end. Yeah. Not even that. It's 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 little things in that movie, like design choices. Uh, Jarrell, uh, as played by Russell Crowe, was, in my opinion, brilliant. So we had to decide which of his Robin Hood fathers to listen to. I know that's that's one of my that's one of the best memes I've seen in a while, where they have a, you know sour, down looking uh, Henry Cavill. And it's like that moment when you realize both your dads are playing by Superman. The final image is him smiling like an idiot. But uh, I liked him. I kind of liked Amy Adams. Uh, I thought she could have been a little more, uh, less of a Practice. robot. Oh, I think she's gorgeous. I just, her, per, like she, it, it lowest income, not plain, but she didn't have a lot of the fire that, you know, you expect from Lois Lane. And thank you, Dana Delaney. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, Dane Delaney is still a gorgeous woman to this day. Oh, a, l- a little bit old for a young Lois part, but maybe if they do like a, a an older Superman story, like a fine wine. That's all I'm saying. But no, she's, no, still, I did... she's still gorgeous. Don't, don't oh, get yeah. wrong. She's, she's still no, gorgeous. She, if they did like an older Lois, like in a role in a and one of the animated movies or something, or even if you know, God forbid, they use her in like a live action something at this at some point would be great. But, uh, no, it's just, uh, Man of Steel is just, I, like I said, it's pretty much des- some of the casting and design of the movie is what I really enjoyed. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about the, how they ended the movie. Cause that's just me screaming F bombs for 10 minutes. <laughs> and it's not so much what happened to Zod. It's how, it's literally, it's like night and day. It's like, he kills Zod. Spoiler warnings, if you haven't seen the movie by now, too bad. Is He kills Zod. He lets out this cry of frustration of, you know, killing the last link to his people. You know, he has that mummy son hug with Lois. And then literally, it's six months later. And you have, and he's just talk. He's like, okay with it. He's talking to you know, Harry Lennox there, the general, and I'll be around, I'll be doing my thing, stop trying to find me. You know, it's that that disconnect. Like, there is absolutely no hint of what happened to Superman in that intervening time. And I think that's something pretty important for the story. Like, to see what the aftermath of the devastation of Metropolis. Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, the next scene we see of Metropolis is... Lois's sleazy coworker inviting her to a basketball game. It's like, boy, did Metropolis build up quickly if they can like casually have basketball games in the city again. Yeah, and do you know which sleazy coworker that was? I don't care anymore. Ah, well, it was Steve Lombard. Okay. Classic, classic. And the only reason I know that is, uh, well, I actually don't know why. I know I know that, but <laughs> I read too many comics some days. But Anyways, no, I... uh, this is wrapping up. Uh, I hope we did a great job defending the uh, post-crisis reboot of Superman, specifically Man of Steel, which has gotten far too much hate for far too long. And I hope you all understand that what I say is 
not in judgment of you people who don't like it, but to put in perspective of how wrong you people are. <laughs> so this is yours, Ben. And JT from Saskatoon. And we are saying good night up, up and at them. <laughs>